This is The Warrior's Cry, and I'm your host, James Edwards. I'm so excited to have you here um, in June on our podcast. So this is an extremely special episode. I am so thrilled to have Dr. Michael Brown on the program uh, today. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown has had a tremendous impact on my life as a Christian throughout the years, um, but also the ministry in which he got his start uh, with the Brownsville Revival and and the Brownsville School of Ministry and ultimately the Fire School of Ministry. Um, They had such a huge impact on my life uh, as a Christian growing up. Um, First off, because I got saved um, in church because uh, their evangelist, came to visit our church back in the mid-90s, and um, I got saved as a direct result of the outpouring that happened at Brownsville. So I'm really excited about having him on the program. Um, the interview is actually a lot shorter um, than uh, normal, um, because typically we uh, have a little bit of freedom to go beyond that. But Dr. Michael Brown is very, very busy, and uh, he records a program called Line of Fire that's broadcast all over the uh, uh, country on AM and FM, um, and you can also listen to it uh, via a podcast if you just do a search uh, uh, for Line of Fire. Um, so before we get into the interview today, uh, I just want to encourage you um, to follow um, the Warriors Cry Facebook page. It's www.facebook.com forward slash the Warriors Cry. If you can go there and click on like, I'd really, really appreciate that. Um, we've been sharing a lot of really awesome memes here as of late um, that um, have gotten some popularity uh, behind them. And i um, trying to grow the ministry uh, beyond the borders that we have right now. Um, so um, please go on and like our Facebook page. We're also uh, on YouTube as well, which as of right now, there's not a whole lot on YouTube. There's a few videos that I recorded several years ago um, that I posted there uh, when the Warrior's Cry was in its infancy, and I was trying to figure out exactly what it was that I was supposed to do with it. So uh, you can go there, and the channel is The Warrior's Cry. Um, In addition, I'm also on Google+, um, and you can find the podcast on iTunes Radio, TuneIn Radio, uh, Google Play Music, Pocket Casts, whatever podcast app that you are uh, excited about, and also you can listen to it directly on the web. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and begin the interview with Dr. Michael Brown. Hello, this is James Edwards with The Warrior's Cry, and I'm extremely excited to have Dr. Michael Brown on the program today. So, Doctor, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell uh, my listeners about who you are and what you do? Sure thing. I am a Jewish believer in Jesus, came to faith in 1971 as a heroin-shooting, LSD-using, hippie rock drummer, and God graciously saved me, called me to himself then. Uh, Because I'm Jewish, I ended up getting into lots of discussions with the rabbis in the Jewish community, 
which got me studying Hebrew in college. I ended up getting a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures at New York University. So uh, that part of my life I've stayed active in, uh, writing books on reaching Jewish people with the gospel, debating rabbis, and uh, serving as a professor at a number of seminaries, and then also having a ministry school, fire school of ministry that raises up laborers for the harvest, especially for the mission field. But uh, having been radically, wonderfully saved by the Lord, my heart has always beat deeply for revival, for renewal in the church. So I've given myself to that for decades, writing books on spiritual renewal and awakening, uh, traveling around the world, uh, preaching the gospel, uh, seeking to stir the churches to go after God and have real outpouring uh, in their own uh, lives and congregations. I was a leader in the Brownsville Revival from 1996 to 2000 that literally touched several million people from around the world. And um, I have a daily radio show, The Line of Fire. Uh, my heart beats also from gospel-based moral and cultural revolution. So I'm on the radio two hours live, five days a week uh, around the country, uh, talking about all the, the critical issues, the key things happening in society today, and writing books on that as well. Uh, we have an apologetics TV show uh, that airs on the NRB TV network, which is seen on Dish TV, wherever that's available. And um, just keep life busy trying to make disciples and make it make an impact for the Lord. Well, Doctor, I know that you've just recently come back from Italy, and I'm uh, extremely excited that you're here today, uh, even though you're in catch-up mode today. So um, first off, I'm going to start the program reading our foundational verse out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And uh, just because I have you on the program, I'm going to read out of the Tree of Life version. Um, so that's uh, chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. Um, so it says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, through the name of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me concerning you, my brothers and sisters, by those who are from Chloe's household, that there are rivalries among you. And I say this because you are saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Kepha, or I follow Messiah. Has my Messiah been divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you immersed in the name of Paul? So reading that verse, what does that say to you? Well, it says that from the earliest times in the church that believers tended to break into factions, that believers tended to follow people and personalities and specific points of doctrine and make that the major thing, rather than saying we're all part of the same body, all part of the same family, everyone else is just a servant. A few chapters later, Paul says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. So we know that there was a tendency to do that in the early church. We even see divisions in the book of Acts. So as long as we're here on this earth, it's something we're going to have to work against. But the way that we work against it is by getting to know each other, uh, the way that we work against it is by, by honoring and serving one another, by recognizing the gifts that God's put in different people, and by saying, okay, there are certain hills that we'll die on that are absolutely non-negotiable in terms of what we believe, but outside of that there's diversity, and our unity uh, can be experienced through our diversity. Uh, just like in an orchestra, you've got many different instruments playing with many different sounds, but all following the same score and the same conductor, that's how we have to function in the body of Christ. That's a, a great point of view, um, that we don't diverge on the um, 
non-negotiables, but that we do have points of negotiation between the different denominations. So I really appreciate that perspective. So you being a Messianic um, Jewish believer, um, I want to kind of come up these questions kind of from you, your perspective as a Messianic uh, Jewish believer, um, you know, kind of from the Jewish uh, faith. Um, so first off, why or what is the uh, what is God saying to the church today? Well, in terms of the Messianic Jewish perspective on what God is saying to the church today, uh, is that we must get reconnected to our historic biblical roots, which are Jewish roots. That uh, the, the church that consistently departed from Jewish roots, that said we are the new Israel and God is done with the old Israel. Uh, the church that uh, cursed the fathers rather than honored the fathers. The church that at the expense of old foundational truths, established new traditions, that church has maybe thrived outwardly uh, in terms of some denominational structures, but internally it's never done well. It's never manifested the real life of God. It may have built cathedrals, but it didn't manifest the real life of God. So that uh, the church must reconnect to its biblical Jewish roots. By that, I don't mean Gentiles trying to live like Jews. By that, I don't mean imposing the Sinai Covenant on Gentile believers, but I mean recognizing the spiritual heritage, recognizing the, the culture and the mindset out of which the church was birthed, uh, recognizing that the second story of the house stands on the first story. Understanding that rightly will be very important in spiritual renewal for the body. Also, when uh, the, the church becomes arrogant, Paul warned about it in Romans 11, when people fail to recognize that they're grafted in by grace and that the old branches, the old olive branches, can be grafted back into their own tree, when arrogance sets in because of ignorance, then that means that, that God's grace uh, is not supplied as fully and that those branches can be broken off as well. And I'd also point out that while the younger generation today is very much driven by relationship and by personal story, and not as much by the larger picture, not as much by larger theology and truth, so sometimes focusing on the micro at the expense of the macro, that the younger generation must take hold of God's heart for Israel. Instead, the younger generation, I'm talking about believers, finds it very easy to identify with, uh, to identify, say, with Palestinians and the way the media presents the narrative as if it's evil Israel and, and uh, innocent Palestinians, where there's a much larger picture, and there's a reason that Christians stand with Israel today, especially the older generation. If the younger generation can recapture that, it'll be important for their mission as well. Amen. Amen. Now, just a little bit of backstory uh, from me. I actually fell in love with Israel as a, uh, a relation to a gentleman who was actually a really good friend of mine who traveled to Israel uh, with your ministry, in fact, they uh, went to Brownsville School of uh, Ministry and later to Fire School of Ministry. Uh, I don't know if you remember his name, but uh, Chris Scherfinski. Um, sure. Yeah, so uh, I fell in love uh, with that kind of uh, uh, thought process through him, and then I started digging into 
um, replacement theology and all that kind of stuff. And, and I really believe that that is a big part of the division in the church um, is replacement theology. You have the churches that stand with Israel and those that feel like we've replaced Israel. Um, and then those that feel like we may have superseded them somehow. Um, so with that perspective in mind, is the church healthy? Uh, it depends on where you're looking in the body. There are many parts of the world where I minister. They've never heard of replacement theology. They have a great heart for Israel, a love for Israel, despite Israel's failings and imperfections. Uh, they stand with Israel and pray for the Jewish people and have a sense of indebtedness to Israel um, uh, historically. I've seen that around the world. And some of the healthiest uh, churches I've been in in the world directly attribute their blessing or part of their blessing to their stance with Israel. The largest megachurch in Europe with a membership of 70,000, I've had their, the privilege of preaching there a number of times, they are deeply in solidarity with Israel, and they say that's a key reason for the blessing on their ministry. The most giving church in America, maybe the weekly membership is 35,000 or more, and per capita they are the givingest church in the world, or in America at least, they, they give more than a million dollars a month to missions, probably the givingest church in the world. They say the primary reason they've been so blessed is because of their standing with Israel and the first fruits of all money they get, they give to missions, but the first fruits of that uh, they give to do Jewish evangelism and Jewish ministry in Israel. The world's fastest growing church in India, I had the privilege of greeting the people there last year. They went from uh, 25 people to 135,000 people in 10 years, legitimately. It, it's an amazing thing to see. Wow. And uh, I, I was interested to, to note that uh, on the pastor's desk in his office, there are two flags, uh, the Indian flag and the Israeli flag. They greet everyone with the word shalom when they walk in there. So again, just really fascinating to see that. Uh, at the same time, I see the rise again in America and in Europe of replacement theology. And there are some thriving churches that hold to it, some major ministries that hold to it, but I'm quite sure that, that uh, long-term, long-term, uh, this will have a negative effect on the Church of America or other nations to the extent it is embraced. Amen, yeah. Um, and and I, I, I really have a hard time with replacement theology because I do know that there are a lot of churches that really could gain blessing from, you know, praying for the peace of Israel like we're commanded in Scripture and praying for the Jewish people. Um, and, and I believe that that does add to our faith um, and, and, and definitely. So, you know, uh, from your experience um, traveling the world and seeing different churches in, in the United States even, uh, what are some things that bring unity and disunity in the body of Christ? Let's start with disunity. If you believe your church has it all, that you are the only ones who are right on all major points, uh, that's going to bring disunity. You might say, look, this is what we hold to, this is what we believe, this is what we practice, but we, we don't claim to have every piece of every puzzle here. So the idea that, that you alone have it together will bring disunity. The idea that you can accomplish God's mission for your region on your own will bring disunity. Uh, the 
uh, lack of building of relations with others outside of your church will bring disunity. Flip that around, when you recognize, okay, this is our calling, but we don't have the whole pie. We have a piece of the pie. So, again, speaking of an orchestra, you might be called to be a violinist. I might be called to play the clarinet. Someone else may be called to, to play the cello, and someone else may be called to play the timpani. Very, very different sounds, but all part of the same orchestra. Another thing that will build unity is serving together, that where there are needs to meet in the body, say, hey, this is a big situation. We've got a, a massive crime uh, increase in our city. What can we do to... Uh, to change that, and and from there you you uh, begin to serve together. You build relationships with one another. Praying together is something that brings tremendous unity. Uh, why not uh, every Sunday in a church service pray for the the other churches in the area that God would move in them? Or in a Messianic congregation on a Saturday, pray for the churches in the area. Uh, why not why not do that? Uh, those kinds of things are, are very very helpful. Uh, and then even to to just on a pastoral level, to get to know others and to, to, have, to have a lunch with uh, local leaders and sit down and just say, hey, tell me about your ministry. Uh, who are you? What has God called you to do? Um, you know, just love to know and understand. And then periodically to, to swap pulpits or to say, okay, we're having a special teaching next week with Pastor so-and-so from, from this church or, or you know, our, our, our gospel group is going to go over and minister in music here and just whatever you can do to cross-pollinate. I mean, these very, very simple, self-evident things, but I think they, they all uh, bring about unity and, and help work towards it. And then you pray for unity, as the Lord prayed that we echo his prayers. Amen. And, you know, and in Scripture, Jesus even commanded us to be unified in the faith, as he was with the Father, and, uh, and that we all uh, be united in faith together. And, and I came to a thought this morning while in prayer that, you know— um, that God, when or when Jesus ascended, he left us as a united body. He left us as a united body or a united church. Um, but mankind somehow figured out how to screw it up, just like we do everything else that we lay our hands on. And we've divided ourselves up over silly little disagreements and silly little um, uh, things. And some of them are important, um, but for the most part, they are really ridiculous little things. Like um, I was min talking to a minister not long ago, and he said one of the biggest things that divide churches that he's seen is the color of the carpet or the color of pews or whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously, this is the kind of stuff that is so ridiculous and must grieve the heart of the Lord. And it, it really shows our immaturity one friend of mine was telling me about a meeting he was at in one country where they were having a discussion as to whether to move a service, uh, make it a half hour later for certain reasons, and it, it, you know, it ended up being just this ugly, you know, yelling, arguing thing, and it's, I mean, there's no substance to it. It's one thing if we're talking about a, a, a major doctrinal issue. There's something of, of real importance, and you know, can we work with this church that, that holds to this different view or not? You know, that's, that's understandable because we might think, okay, is this going to be polluting or can you really be saved and hold to their position? That's legitimate. I can understand it. We, we talk it through. Uh, and there are things that are of real importance. It's, you say, okay, 
we're going to move the service a half hour in this direction. It seems petty. All right, well, let me find out why it matters. Some people are like, listen, we have this long commute to get here. If you move the service half hour earlier, you know, we can't do it. And Okay, understand the reasons. Uh, even something as silly as, you know, the color of, of chairs in a church building or something. Uh, okay, it's completely silly to, to argue over it, but all right, find out, just like with any dispute, find out why this matters to you. And then we can expose the, the superficiality of it, and then we can get to real issues. But look, the, the reality is that we can talk about this till the cows come home. It's not going to produce unity. It's not going to stop, uh, it's not going to stop people from uh, dividing. What happens is when the water rises high enough, as the old saying goes, you don't see the fences anymore. During the years of the Brownsville Revival, we had extraordinary unity with uh, people coming from churches around the world and denominations across the body and being touched together and going back and taking what God had given to them and sharing that with others. And uh, the, the, the main leaders that worked together, the four principal leaders of the revival, I used to tell the guys the greatest miracle of the revival is that we all get along together so well uh, without major conflict because we were so different and, and very strong personalities. And with the intensity of, of revival and, and the spiritual pressure you're under, you'd think that you know, the whole thing would just uh, fall apart immediately. And yet, uh, as long as that, that, that tide had risen, the, uh, you couldn't see the fences. So that's right. the biggest thing of all, that you come together, and when you're touched by the Holy Spirit, then uh, it's very, very easy once you're touched to just love people more and work together. Right, right. And and last uh, question that I'm going to ask you is really about the ministries that have grown over division. Like I've heard you talk about on Line of Fire and also on some of your YouTube videos um, where you talk about um, uh, the Strange Fire Conference uh, and uh, I think it's MacArthur, right? John MacArthur, sure. Yeah, John MacArthur. So, you know, ministries like that have risen over division in the body of Christ, and they have made their name over division in the body of Christ. Um, what do you say about ministries that build their entire ministry over um, dividing up over scriptural things like that? Well, first thing, if, if you think of John MacArthur, he primarily built his ministry on his preaching and teaching on his uh, expository opening up of the scriptures of a lot of stuff that was very strong, uh, calling for real discipleship, lifting up Jesus. Uh, unfortunately, he has also had some very uh, divisive takes. In his mind, it's for purity. It's his mind, in his mind, it's for the health of the body. Obviously, I feel that many things are, are unhealthy and have gone too far in his criticism. So he's really had strong criticism of the charismatic movement, He's had strong criticism of others that, that uh, are not part of the body or are marginal. So uh, I would say that you respect the good that a ministry does. You respect the, the, the good things they put out. You learn from them as, as much as possible. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, you recognize that uh, there are helpful and unhelpful ways to share differences. If right. I want to share differences with non-charismatics, I will say, okay, uh, here's where I appreciate what they're doing. This is good. This is great. I appreciate this. Here's where I differ. 
Let's look at it scripturally as we honor one another. But if I don't even think the other people are saved, and it's it's just my group alone is saved, now I'm really setting myself up for a fall, and, and I'll quickly marginalize myself. There There are ministries that are, are, quote, watchdog ministries or discernment ministries, and their whole uh, MO seems to be, okay, we're going to fix what's wrong in the body. The problem is, okay, who's going to fix what you do? So right. you've got to approach this with real humility. If you're going to be a watchdog ministry, if that's your calling, do your best first to have a baptism of love for the whole body, a baptism of love for those you differ with. Do your best to see the true and good things they are doing, and then to critique from there, because otherwise you will end up uh, painting such a narrow circle that you end up excluding large portions of the body of Christ, and that's the real danger. Amen, amen. Um, you know, I actually came to Christ as a direct re uh, uh, relation to Brownsville um, revival back in the 90s. Unfortunately, I never actually had a chance to go to one, um, but Steve Hill actually visited my church in Charlotte, uh, believe it or not, um, back in, I think, 95 or 96, I can't remember what the year was, um, and he spoke, and um, then shortly thereafter, uh, I can't remember her last name, but Allison uh, visited from Brownsville, um, yeah. and she uh, she came up there, and uh, literally, I tried to run out of the sanctuary, and next thing I know, I'm coming to in front of the altar of God, and, and I had come to Christ that day, and um, wow. I've, been, I've been saved ever since, but it was a, a direct relation to the work that y'all did in uh, uh, Pensacola, and and I wanted to thank you for for your obedience and that, uh, as well as uh, everything else you're doing. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Wonderful. I'm sure Steve is seeing amazing fruit from the the people that have been saved that he's getting to meet now in in, uh, in, in heaven. But thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful to hear. And may may Jesus continue to be glorified. If folks want to follow what I'm doing, they can go to Ask Doctor Brown A S K drbrown.org. Once again, thank you, Dr. Brown, for being on the program. I really appreciate you being here. God bless. And that was a great interview with Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, you know, I really was honored and blessed to actually be able to get him on the program. Uh, those of you who have been listening for the last six episodes uh, and one Warrior's Thought episode uh, know that that is a huge deal uh, for me. Uh, I really, really definitely look up to Dr. Michael Brown and his ministry. Um, you know, I have uh, uh, a lot of really deep insight that I've gotten from him over the years. Uh, one thing that I would encourage you to do, if you will, is uh, on their website, uh, check out the Jesus Manifesto by Dr. Michael Brown. That's where I first heard about uh, him back in the early 2000s. Uh, I had a good friend of mine that actually went to Israel. You mentioned, uh, you heard me mention that on the interview with uh, Dr. Michael Brown. 
Um, but my friend Chris Shervinsky actually uh, traveled to Israel with his ministry and uh, brought back like an Israeli flag. And I still have that Israeli flag, which is uh, quite interesting. But uh, but uh, I learned so much uh, through uh, Dr. Michael's ministry, Dr. Michael Brown's ministry. Um, and, you know, I, I hope to continue learning more from him. You know, the biggest thing that I would uh, offer you as listeners is find those people, find those people in the ministry that you look up to and sit under them and listen to them. You know, um, Dr. Brown doesn't know anything about me per se. Uh, he did not know that I've listened to him and studied him and read him for many years before talking to him. Um, but I really uh, honor his ministry and I do look up to him. So I encourage you to find those ministers um, that you can sit under and that you can listen to and that you can um, grow your own understanding uh, from because uh, people like uh, Dr. Brown and and uh, other really renowned leaders and pastors and ministers in this world were put here for a reason. They were put here so that we could actually understand Scripture on a deep, deep, deeper level. And each one is called to a different thing, which is part of the reason why the Warrior's Cry even exists to begin with. Um, the Warrior's Cry exists to bring unity to a divided church. You know, we can continue talking about it, but ultimately talking about it's not really going to do anything about it. So uh, I put out a call on my podcast right now for those of you who are listening in my audience uh, and those uh, that are out there that will be joining us from Dr. Michael Brown's audience as well. Um, if you have a calling into uh, building unity in the body of Christ, please contact me at thewarriorscry@gmail.com. I am in need of uh, fellow partakers, fellow ministers to help me in this ministry, help me with the podcast, help me with my social media, help me with everything that it is God's calling us to do, and also to bring about things that um, I don't know about yet. You know, if you have a calling to bring about unity, it's very important that you join us. So with that said, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Warriors Cry. We're also on um, Google Plus, The Warriors Cry 1, as I have to search for. Uh, we're on YouTube, which I'm going to start actually putting uh, uh, my podcasts up on YouTube as well. Um, not in video form, but just purely audio. Um so that there's an extra place for other people to listen in. And, uh, you know, uh, once again, I really, really appreciate you guys. Uh, please be praying for the peace of Israel. Um, pray for uh, the persecuted church worldwide, uh, the church uh, in China, the church in um, the Middle Eastern countries, the churches all over this world that are struggling to survive right now. And like Dr. Michael Brown said in an interview, when the water rises, the fences are not visible. Um, we do divide ourselves up among ourselves uh, between the body of Christ with these huge fences. But the Spirit of God can flood the world and can flood all of our lives to the point of where the visible or the fences are invisible. And I pray that that day actually happens. I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray for the outpouring of uh, 
the grace of God upon this earth so that other people come to know uh, Christ and him crucified. Um, I finished this podcast off with a, a benediction. Um, may God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you and give you peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.